Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, David Hook continues our series on Lessons from Life Stories, looking at the life of Boaz. And now, here's David. Thank you very much, opening team, for the music this morning and for the the information that was given as well and for the reminder of shoe boxes, persecutions, and uh, lifting our hearts to the Lord. Let's just take another moment and, uh, and come to him. We thank you for what you have told us of yourself. Thank you for the messages that we have in, in your stories. Thank you that we can learn of you and see you and that we have opportunities to grow to be like you, to understand your desire for us and help us to be the people you want us to be. In the Savior's name we pray. Amen. Okay, next slide, Eve. How many of you have seen the movie A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood? Now I've got a So it was November 22nd, 2019. That happens to be one year ago today it was released for for show now i i've mentioned this movie before i guess it's becoming a favorite topic of mine to talk about here but uh it's based on a true story and depicts the impact that mr rogers remember mr rogers right all of you people and people in the neighborhood (laughs) (laughs) who was played by tom hanks and did a really nice job of doing that I think Tom Hanks is actually a distant relative of Mr. Rogers, actually, and that's one of the, anyway. So it was the story of how Tom, uh, Mr. Rogers had this uh, impact on the life of a troubled journalist. Fred Rogers' character uh, traits shine out in this story as he takes a genuine interest in the journalist. He demonstrates caring, humility, and a willingness to get involved as he interacts with this with his new journalist's friend. It is of interest to me and to us, I think, that Fred Rogers was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was an ordained Presbyterian minister. But he gave his uh, time and talents to putting on a show for children where he taught them all sorts of things. The movie includes, even includes a scene where Rogers is praying for his friend. I think we can learn a number of lessons from that story on the kind of traits that are needed to make a difference in other people's lives. But today we're going to look at another story and another character who had a tremendous impact on the lives of a couple of people. And that character is Boaz. So how many of you are familiar with this story? How many of you have seen this movie? <laughs> well, I don't know if it's, it's probably in a movie somewhere, but I, I mean, we don't have time to read the four chapters of the book of Ruth today. But if you want to open your Bibles to that and, and be sort of skimming through it as I talk, go ahead. But I'm sure it's one of the best known and best loved Old Testament stories. Like all good stories, it captivates our interest and pulls on our heartstrings. Tragedy, despair, courage, commitment, hope, joy, romance, and happy ending 
are all there in the story. As you know, the story begins with Naomi and her husband and two sons leaving Israel to escape a famine. They move to neighboring Moab where life happens. Naomi's husband dies. The two sons marry Moabite women. Then the two sons die. So Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth return to Judah in grief and poverty. And while trying to eke out a living, Ruth encounters Boaz. Through a series of events, Boaz rescues Ruth and Naomi from their hardship and marries Ruth. A male heir is born to them as a result of their union, and they become ancestors in David's royal family, and therefore part of Jesus' family tree. That was a very quick review of the story, sorry. And I hope you're more familiar with the details. If you aren't, please read that book for your homework today. Our aim today is to discover Boaz's character traits, things which, in, in, his, in his character traits, things which might help us in our roles today. Although the story can be appreciated by any reader, there are some aspects of the story which may be a bit puzzling to those of us who are far removed from the time and culture of the story. Let's take a few moments to look at the important Old Testament laws, which are kind of somewhat related to the story, and without some idea of those, you might be a little bit lost. The first one is, is found in Leviticus 19, 9, and 10, and I'm not going to read that for you, but this is a law that landowners are instructed to leave the edges of their fields unharvested and not to pick, what the, pick up what the harvesters drop. This was to be a provision for the poor and foreigners living among them. This would be, we call it, gleaning. And through this gleaning, there would be a provision for those without other means of support. This is what Ruth uh, was doing when, we see, uh, when, we, when she meets Boaz. And we see Boaz's obedience in keeping of this law. Just as an aside, um, I was reminded of this practice. We can go to the next slide, Eve, actually. I think that one messed up a bit. <laughs> Just as an aside, I was reminded of this practice when we were serving in, in Guinea on, with Mercy Ships. And that's a picture of our ship where it's docked by the, in the dock port, of, uh, port there. From the deck of that Africa Mercy Ship, we were able to watch the other ships, and you can see some of them in the distance there, as they came to dock and load and unload their cargoes. One ship uh, right in front of ours was was unloading big sacks of rice and it was unloading them with the, those cranes and loading them onto trucks as they were waiting and then they would take the sacks of uh, rice away. But every so often one of the uh, one of the sacks would have a bit of a hole in it and you could see the grain and the rice trickling out and spilling down onto the ground and you know that with the stevedores the dock workers didn't really care about that they just loaded on the truck and moved away but so by by the evening the trucks were gone and and the things were quieter but people would come i don't know how they got into the dockyard but they would come and they would start sweeping the, the pavement of the dock and they would sweep up all the rice that was spilled and and i guess take it home and use it because that's what they needed to do. But nothing went to waste. It was, uh, it was quite remarkable. But they were gleaning after that, and that was a, in that of a fashion. So it just reminded me 
of that. The second law deals with the redemption of family land that had been uh, sold due to poverty. That law is found in Leviticus 23 to 28. And in that law, a close relative has the right to buy back the land on behalf of the original owner. So if the original owner becomes impoverished, sells their land, but then doesn't have anything, a close relative can buy that and redeem that land back from the, the person that it was sold to. And then the third law, perhaps one of the most uh, uh, difficult and for us to understand is uh, what was called the leveret marriage, and that's found in Deuteronomy 25 and verses 5 to 20, 5 to 10, I think. Sorry, and it's the law which said that if the if a husband and wife are married and that husband dies, the brother of that husband should marry that wife and raise children. Uh, in, in the name of the dead brother. And you, you can see that uh, law being uh, raised even in Jesus' time when the Sadducees came to him and said, you know, if all these brothers die and they keep marrying this woman, whose wife is she at the end in the resurrection? So Jesus has an answer for that. But but that's the law that's based on. But it seems in the book of Ruth that these last two laws, the the Redemption of the land and the leveret marriage laws have sort of been combined and almost expanded to include wider ranges of circumstances. And perhaps maybe that's just an unfo- uh, a development of law over time or some other thing that's going on that we don't understand. But roughly you get the idea of what could be happening because of that. There's one other very significant term found in Ruth. Uh, and that is that term of kinsman or family redeemer or guardian redeemer in some English translations. If you look at Ruth, uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 20, you see it written this way. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man whose field she had worked. She said, this man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers, or guardian redeemers, or near kinsmen. The role is hinted at in that Leviticus 25 law, where relatives can redeem redeem people who have been sold into slavery as well. Um, But it seems in the book of Ruth, uh, the role of the family redeemer includes both people and property redemption or, or purchase back or buyback. So I hope I haven't put you to sleep with all that the legal talk, but uh, I would like for now to point out some of the traits of Boaz that we see in this passage and some of the things we might learn from his life. The first thing we are told about Boaz in Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 is that he was a man of standing, or as one of the other translations puts it, uh, he was a wealthy and influential man. Now this makes him the polar opposite to to Ruth. Uh, Boaz was a rich Israelite man. Ruth was an impoverished foreign widow. In that culture, women had very little standing and, and an unmarried one had even less. And yet, in chapter 2, verse 5 to 9, Boaz takes notice of Ruth. 
and even goes out of his way to speak to her. Let's read that uh, those few verses. Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, she is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could get if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughters, stay right here with us. When you gather grain, don't go out, don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young women, young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, Help yourself to the water that they have from the well. I suspect that uh, Boaz's employees probably raised their eyebrows a little bit when they saw Boaz going over to talk to Ruth. I think a bit like the Jesus disciples did when he, when they found him talking to the foreign woman at the well in Samaria. He just didn't talk to uh, four foreign women if you were a man. It, it broke all the cultural norms, and and even later Boaz even calls her over and offers her hospitality in the form of food and drink, and takes steps to ensure her protection and success while she was gleaning. To me, that speaks of, of Boaz as a, a humble, his humility. Now, humility is a trait that is kind of misunderstood. People think of humility as being something like a, a doormat. You are humble if you let people walk all over you and don't stand up for yourself. But I would suggest that humility is something different from that. I like what one uh, description of humility that I read said that uh, that humility is is using a person's higher status to help those who have of a lower status. In other words, the higher person is to elevate the lower. And in other words, one is humble when they use their resources to improve the lot of those who have been who have less. Being humble then is to level the playing field. And certainly Boaz was going from his elevated position to Ruth's very low position and bringing her up and, and helping her to to gain uh, status and respect. I was thinking about one time in, when I was in very early in medical school, probably my first year, I went was looking for a room in one of the hospitals, and it was one of those confusing mazes of hospitals. All hospitals seems to be confusing and maze-like. Don't know why we build them that way, but but I asked this um, man, if, uh, sort of an older guy, if he knew where I should be, and like, can you help me direct me to where it should be? Well, he didn't just give me the directions. He kind of took me and said, okay, yeah, follow me and I'll show you where to go and uh, came around this corner and that corner and then I think this is where you want to be. Okay, thank you very much, sir. And, uh, it wasn't until later in my time there that I realized and I recognized him later that that he actually was uh, Charles Drake and he was one of the foremost uh, neurosurgeons in the world at that time doing some very advanced work on, uh, on aneurysm surgery. And people were coming, like Della Reese came from the United States to our hospital to have her aneurysm clipped because Charles Drake was the surgeon doing it. And, like, wow, he took the time to just come 
and help a lowly medical student find the right way. I think that was the kind of person that, that he was, but he showed uh, humility in doing that and just assisting those that, that uh, came to him for help. Another catchy way of, uh, of stating the idea of humility is, is humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. In other words, putting other people's needs in front of your own. And certainly I think Boaz was, a, was an illustration of humility. He was humble in that he used his resources and position to help one that had no status. And he recognized that everyone has value and importance. Well, another trait of of Boaz, I'm sure you can see from the story, is that he was a very caring person. He was concerned for the well-being of others. Just in the way he greeted his workers in in, uh, Ruth 2, 4, he comes, Boaz arrives from Bethlehem and greeted his harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. So he obviously cultivated that respect in his workers. He cultivated more than just his barley fields. He actually worked with people as well. And it seems like they had a very good working condition and working relationship. As we saw earlier, he cared about Ruth's comfort, the success of her gleaning and, and her safety, and made it a point to understand her circumstances and her needs by asking his foreman about her and going over to speak with her himself. Later, when Ruth came to him and basically asked him to redeem her, he immediately spoke affirming and comforting words, and he praised her for her loyalty to the family. That's found in Ruth 3, verse 8. And around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I assume it was dark because I couldn't see who was who. And Ruth says, I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after younger, a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. He then uh, gives her a significant amount of grain to take back to, to, uh, to Naomi as well. So through, through these sort of words of affirmation, through his actions, you could tell that Boaz was caring. So he said to her, bring, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. And then he returned to town, <coughs> returned to town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her, and she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Caring can be described as making oneself aware of the needs and feelings of others and then taking action to help them. It is evident that Boaz was a caring man in his dealings with Ruth and Naomi.
that's just what I quoted again. It's probably worth saying again. Making oneself aware of the needs and feelings of others and then taking action to help them. The last trait that I would like to highlight, and although we could go on for quite some time thinking of characteristics of Boaz, I wrote a long page of them, or several pages, but I just picked these three. The last one that I'm looking at is the willingness to pay the price. Redeeming the family required resources and boldness, and Boaz was willing to do what was required. Let's pick up a little bit of the story at at, uh, chapter 4 and verse 1. This is a bit of a longer reading. So, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. Uh, Just a background, there's another family redeemer in the works. There's Boaz and one that's closer. But Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it, here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, All right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who can carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estates. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Now, in those days, it was custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and to hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal and he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahalon. And with that, with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Mahlon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in the hometown. You are my witnesses today. So it took some courage and, and effort to assemble the city leaders and to speak to the other potential family redeemer. But Boaz was willing to make that effort and possibly face some more raised eyebrows as he proposed the redemption of Ruth and the family land. It would also have cost him a significant amount of financial resources, and in a sense he would be giving them to Ruth's offspring and not his own I suspect that this is why the nearer Redeemer was willing, was willing to purchase the land, but not if it meant giving it as inheritance to somebody else. The text says that he didn't want to endanger his own estate. On the other hand, Boaz was willing to risk his own estate to pay the whole cost. 
An ideal family redeemer would be one that would make the sacrifices necessary to endure, to ensure that the redemption was complete. He would be willing to pay the whole price. So as family redeemer, Boaz has often been compared to Jesus in his role as the redeemer of the world. I'd like to take a few minutes and just consider those same traits and how they were evident in Jesus as well as they are in Boaz's life. Starting again with humility, we find that Jesus was the epitome of that virtue. He used his lofty position as a means of elevating our stature. This is nowhere better expressed than in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians 2, verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus, although God came over, came down, came to speak to us. Just like Boaz came over to talk to Ruth, Jesus took on our form so that he could represent God to us. He took on our form that he might become our redeemer and pay the price to set us free, to reclaim us from our slavery to sin and restore our relationship with God. When you read the Gospels, it becomes quickly evident that Jesus cares. He even cared enough to take time to discuss his work with a foreign woman who had no husband. Just a very similar story to Boaz, as I mentioned earlier. He took time to understand her needs and then offered her living water, which changed her life. He made himself aware of her needs and feelings and then took action to help her and her whole village. Jesus cares. He is the good shepherd who knows how to care for his people, his flock. And is Jesus willing to pay the price? Well, that's obviously evident too in what he did. There's no question that Jesus was willing to pay the price for our redemption. And it cost him a tremendous amount. It cost him his life, but he willingly endured the cross to purchase our freedom. Peter writes it this way. For you know that it was not with perishable things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So Boaz points us to Jesus. Like Boaz, Jesus has the same characteristics of an ideal redeemer. Now, in order to make this a little bit more personal, I would like to make a connection between rede redemption, redeemer, that, uh, that ministry, and reconciliation. Redemption is the purchase, is like a purchase, like when we redeem something from the pawn shop that we've taken there to get some money, we go back and buy it back. That's the same idea as redemption, a transaction, a payment. Boaz redeemed Ruth from her poverty and widowhood and her circumstances. 
And Jesus redeems those who put their trust in him from their enslavement to sin. He has paid that price to purchase their freedom. Now, reconciliation is the repairing of relationships. These are two sides of the same coin. And Paul mentions them together in a letter to the Colossians. He says about Jesus, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are a holy and blame, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. So we are not redeemers. Jesus has done that work. That's not our role. But it's our role to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation, of mending the relationship between people and God. Also between people and people, I would think, too. But especially we're looking at that broken relationship that's between people and God. Reconciliation is part of that redemptive work that Jesus does as he frees us and makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. To reconcile means bringing back to a state of harmony, the reestablishment of a broken relationship. And we have been given given that role uh, of helping other people understand the work of the Redeemer and and to put their trust in the one who is able to bring them into that amazing relationship with the God who loves them. Paul puts it this way uh, to the church at Corinth, and I thought the, the Good News Bible did a nice job of, of wording this. All this is done by God, who through Christ changed us from enemies into his friends <clears throat> and gave us the task of making others his friends also. Our message is that God was making the whole human race his friends through Christ. God did not keep an account of their sins, and he has given us the message which tells how he makes them his friends. Here we are then, speaking for Christ as though God himself were speaking his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, let God change you from enemies into his friends. So, Do we have the character traits needed to help people become friends with God? I would propose that these were, since it's the same sort of process that's going on, I would say that these character traits required for that are closely related to the character traits needed to be a redeemer, which we looked at in Boaz and Jesus. I would suggest that we need to develop the same character traits found in both Boaz and Jesus, and this means we'll need to be humble, that we'll need to be caring, and that we'll be need, need to willing be that we will need to be willing to pay the price that's involved. 
So here's a little exercise for you to do. Well, not so little, maybe. Probably a challenging exercise. It is for me anyway. Like take a moment and bring to mind someone who you know that needs to become friends with God. Could be a family member, could be a friend, someone you work with, a neighbor, someone you know that you really think should become friends with God. And then ask yourself some questions as you think about that person. And there's in three groups of questions, and of course they're based on humility, caring, and sacrifice. So ask yourself, how can I demonstrate humility to that person? How can I overcome any barriers that would keep us apart? How can I take the initiative to develop a relationship with that person? And how can I use the great resources that I have in Christ to elevate them? Then, ask yourself, how can I show them that I care about them? How do I become aware of their needs and feelings? What actions can I take to help them? And finally, am I willing to make the sacrifices needed to help them? Am I willing to give my time and my resources? Am I willing to risk my reputation? Am I willing to even seem foolish? Am I willing to give up other things for them? So that's an ongoing exercise for you for the rest of this day and the week ahead. Just think about that person that you have in your thoughts right now and, and see how you can demonstrate the traits that Boaz demonstrated to Ruth, that Jesus demonstrated to us, to enable you to help that person become friends with God. Last slide, back to A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. There's a scene in the movie where Mr. Rogers makes a surprise visit to, the, to his friend's home. And that's the scene in the movie. And you can see the, his journalist friend's father is very ill and is in his uh, sort of deathbed there. Mr. Rogers even brought with him a home-baked pie to share with the family. It wasn't the pie that those people needed, but <laughs> during the visit and discussion with the family, Rogers is able to help them at a very difficult time in their family. This to me is just an example of, of, of the ministry of reconciliation. Rogers was humble. He came to their home. You know, I think this is a, a TV personality that, you know, he just, he just showed up at their door, at their, in their humble home. He brought a pie. <laughs> That's one of the needs that you can always count on that people have. <laughs> they need to eat. But he brought a pie, knowing that that was just a symbol of the, and a token of what he was trying to do, you know, to minister to them. What they really needed was friendship and conversation. And he was willing to give of his time and make the effort to visit his friend and his family. And it's a fairly touching and heartwarming scene. So again, we are called in Christ to become like him. In Boaz, we have an example of a life that challenges us 
to be the people God wants us to become. So let's take to heart these lessons from the life of Boaz. We're thankful, Father, for that one who is holy, the Lamb that was sacrificed for us, who, who bought us with his blood, pays a price for our redemption. We pray that as we think of that and, and think of what he's done for us, that we would grow to be like him, that we would emulate him, that we would follow him, that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross, and be followers of him, followers of him to lead the same kind of life, a life that shows humility, a life that shows that we care, and a life that shows that we are going to sacrifice on his behalf. And pray, Father, that you would give us the courage and strength, the resources that we need, and that we would just find in you uh, all that we have in you as our great Redeemer, the Holy One of God, the Lamb that was slain for us. In his name, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.